Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. He started an orphanage. Has anybody ever watched? Starts with an M. Molly. Molly. M U L L Y. If you have a chance, go get on your TV. If you have, um, I know it's on Prime, Amazon Prime. If you have Amazon Prime, that's one of the free benefits you get. We don't buy cable, we get it for free. We get it through Amazon Prime. Uh, and you can watch it with your streaming, so we don't even have to pay for anything. So it's really a blessing. But watch it. It's astounding. He was an orphan, left, abandoned by his family at eight years old. He was begging in India, had nothing. And long story short, he ended up going to an Indian couple and the, he was just begging basically. And they took him in and let him start being a servant. He ended up going to work for the man's company. He ended up becoming a, a manager. He started a cab company, became one of the largest cab companies in all of that nation. Long story short, he became a multi-millionaire. And he got robbed one night by some orphan children, some homeless children, and God convicted him that you had been one of them, and you have all these blessings, and you and your family are living in this opulent wealth. He shut all his businesses down, and he started orphanages. He took them into his house, and thousands and thousands of children. It will move you. If you are not brought to tears, then we and you need to have a talk in a major way. It is an incredible, true story, and they go in at the very end of it with the epilogue of what the, all the children who were so mad at the dad for changing their whole lifestyle when this started. It is so powerful. Has anybody watched it? You think you have? Well, I promise you, you will not forget that movie. So if you have, it's Mully, M-U-L-L-Y, and it is profound. It, I love good life, real life documentary type. And it is just powerful how God's used this. And to this day, they have orphanages all over the country and they are self-sustaining. They grow their own food. The children, they teach them the work. They school them. They have, and it's all godly Christian churches. Missionaries have come out of that now. All these people all over the world and they even uh, feature some of the ones who've come from this orphanage and shown where they're at now and how huge the impact that these people who were nothing, they were orphans begging on the street and would have literally been sold into prostitution and indentured servitude that are now productive citizens. And it was because of the love of Jesus Christ through this man, Molly, and his lack of selfishness and self-service that he has given of his heart and life. And it's just moving. So... I wanted to share that with you. Whenever I find, I, that's the kind of movies that I like to watch. If I have a time to watch, I love to watch things like that that are encouraging, challenging, but also just good news. Amen? We need good news. Good news. That's why I don't watch the news, because I want good news. I don't like the news at all. It is negative, and I don't want anything to do with it. Uh, I don't care what happens all around me. I want to know a little bit about international politics because of the fact that how, how it lines in the eschatology sense of the scripture and how things are winding down. That's the only part that I have any 
desire to find out about anymore. That's all I care about because I want to know eschatology. Why? I don't matter when Christ is coming back, but it's neat to watch the signs. Anybody get to see the meteors this morning? Did y'all know we've been having meteor showers? Well, there's a meteor shower. Yes, they've been going on, uh, and it goes till the 20, I think the 28th, possibly. So, best time to see it is before sunrise um, in the morning. So, it was a little cloudy this morning, so I couldn't see, but I was out there looking up. So, um, if you get a chance, look at that. Heavens declare the glory of the earth, the work of his hands. Amen? Been in that dirt this week, saw those beautiful rocks, the slate, got a huge thing of slate. And uh, Jeff rocks, so I've had some rocks I've been seeing at my place that he's excited to come out there and see. But every bit of God's creation screams an incredibly, incredibly ornate designer. Everything. Looking at your hand. Have you ever thought of what goes into this? Have you ever thought for a moment what it requires to do this? <laughs> Amen, right? I'm, listen, we haven't even talked about the eyes. If you want to be astounded, take one part of the human body and study it. If you want to do it in depth, it takes about a month to study each one of them or more. But just the eye and to know what goes into us seeing what we see and how our eyes see things, not right side up, but upside down. And how our brain, it's just fascinating. And God is just so incredible in the complexity. When you study the, the, the laminin, when you study the flagellum in the body, and each one of those little trucks that has a, literally has a universal joint on it, a propeller that spins, if I remember correctly, at about 15,000 RPMs, and each one of those things delivers nutrients through your body, each one knows its exact purpose. It's fascinating to me. So if you want something to be astounded uh, with this week, just take one part of the human body and study the flagellum this week. Just be blown away. And it will make you sit back and just laugh inside and go, man, God, you are so incredible in your creation. And give him glory for it because he deserves it. Hope you have your Bibles tonight. Turn to Psalm chapter 32. Psalm chapter 32. We're going to look at five verses tonight, verses 1 through 5. A message titled The Joy of Being Forgiven. I know there's probably no one in here that knows what it's like to need forgiveness and to experience it, but we're going to just pretend tonight that there were times in your life that we had violated God's law, violated a relationship, and needed forgiveness. <laughs> Amen. I would actually say that we are quite familiar with what it's like to need forgiveness. I know I've known many times in my life what it's like to need forgiveness. I also know what it's like when the enemy tries to convince you not to extend forgiveness, amen, or not to ask for forgiveness. How many times have you heard me, and many, sadly, people have consistently and repetitively said to me during the Lord's Supper how I always read the warning, and they, I've I can't even tell you how many times I've heard. I've probably heard it 60 to 80 plus times since I've been at Longview. Say, I've never heard anyone read that warning before. What do you mean? That's why many of you are weak, sick, and a number of you sleep. And yet, sadly, the more people I asked, they said, I've never heard that in my lifetime. How sad, amen? 
And that's why it's so important, though, for a, a, a solid biblical theology that lines up with God's Word, because God forbid that a pastor, or anybody for that matter, leads someone into a place where we eat and drink judgment ourselves and bring ourselves as the enemy desires to, to allow us to find comfort in our sin. Never thought about that. Well, I'm, I'm a mess and I deserve it and I just deserve to be punished by God and I don't deserve to be forgiven. Anybody ever experienced that? It's a bad feeling, isn't it? Because the enemy's good at convincing us that we don't deserve what Jesus Christ extends through the gift of salvation and also through 1 John 1, 9 as a follower of Christ. See, those are the, the lies of the devil who desires to leave us in a place bound he doesn't like it at all. He does not like in any sense the word for followers of Christ to live in the fullness of Christ, to live in that place recognizing God's grace, his unmerited favor, and his mercy. God's mercies are new every morning. You know that God does not give us what we deserve. That's his mercy. His unmerited favor is the gift of grace. I most beautifully see that as the gift of salvation through Jesus that gift of grace, his unmerited favor, he gives us what we don't deserve. And in his mercy, he restrains what he could give us, what we do deserve. Amen? Because every one of us tonight, I don't care who you are, even as a follower of Christ, I know that if you're like myself, there's days where you say, God, I understand I wouldn't have saved me for anything on the planet. And I'm so thankful for your grace. I'm so thankful for your mercy. I'm so thankful, and it helps me recognize God's love, his love. His love knows no boundaries. It knows no limits. It's limitless, the limitless love of God. Uh, there's a song, as a matter of fact, I think um, the overwhelming, uh, there's a love, reckless love of God. Great, great song. I wish I could remember the words to it exactly right now, but basically it just is saying God's love is so reckless. It's boundless. It's endless, the love that he has for us. I also love Stephen, uh, uh, right, right there on the tip of my tongue, not Stephen King, um, West King. Uh, how deep is the love of God? Incomparable kindness to less than the weak. Uh, how, how long, how high, how wide, how deep is the love of Christ. So powerful songs, though, that just speak to the love of God. Tonight, though, again, the message is titled, The Joy of Being Forgiven. I hope you found Psalm 32. We'll look at verses 1 through 5. And if you're able physically, let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's Word tonight. How joy transgressions is forgiven whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle, and my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, did not conceal my iniquity, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Father, thank you, Lord, tonight again for this privilege we have to read your word. Speak to our hearts. God, take the blinders off our eyes. Open our ears, God, and I pray tonight that we will not be hearers, but doers also of your word, that we would leave here 
absolutely, completely focused, God, on whatever it is that you have us to do tonight, having answered the call, the conviction, the encouragement, the challenge, Father, that your word gives all of us. Father, and we ask this tonight in the precious name above all names, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One and two again. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. First thing I want to share with you tonight comes out of those two verses is this. There is joy for those who confess sin and receive forgiveness. There's joy. Again, you recognize what that feels like. I wish, actually, these, I'm going to switch the scriptures around, but we'll see it because we're going to look at also the places when we hide sin, the, the second verse. But there's such a feeling. Has anybody ever been forgiven by somebody for something that you probably even recognize you didn't deserve to be forgiven for? And there was a, a, a wall, a barrier that had been erected between the, the parties, whether it's you and one person, you and others, but you recognize there was a wall of division that had been set up between you and things weren't good between those. And that relationship was in, in danger of maybe potentially being irreparably harmed. Anybody? It's not fun, is it? It's not a good feeling. You feel empty. You feel broken. You feel like things, there's not joy. You have great sadness. I'm a relational person. I like relationships. Now, if someone wants to tell me to take a flying leap, I'm the last person you want to tell that to because once I say sayonara, sayonara. Uh, I'll see you in glory one day. We'll just agree to disagree. If somebody wants to be hard-headed and bullheaded like that and say, I don't, want to, I don't want nothing to do with you, go pound dirt, I will gladly go pound dirt. I'll go to back to my playground and I can hang out in my playground. I'm okay with that. But I like relationships, and I don't want that. That's not the choice that I want for people. I've forgiven people of things that a lot of people have a hard time forgiving people from because I am great. One who's been forgiven much loves much. Amen? One who's been forgiven little loves little. That's why I always say one who's been forgiven much loves much, which is that's not a Bible verse, but I, that's my, the saying that I say a lot. The one who's been forgiven little loves little is a Bible verse. But I have been forgiven much, and therefore... If someone is genuinely repentant, if they have, have, have done something, I'll forgive somebody in two seconds because it's important to do that, especially if they're desiring reconciliation. They desire restoration. I am 100% completely, with Paul say, be careful that they're not overwhelmed in their sorrow in their forgiveness, right? When they want to be restored in fellowship, you hurry up and bring them back into your fellowship of friendship so that they are not overwhelmed because the grief of having that, you can literally browbeat yourself to death and something you've done become discouraged and become even shipwrecked in your faith. That's why it's very discouraging when I see some churches where somebody makes a mistake and whether they repent or not, they're not welcome back. Now, if they're unrepentant, and I understand there, there needs to be a separation from that fellowship, but someone who is repentant should be quickly restored to the fellowship. Now, if they have, let's say, stolen money from the church, should you put them as your treasurer? No. Should you let them be over the offering? No. Amen? Let's set up some wise safeguards to protect them. But how many times have you seen it where someone's completely shunned, even in their repentance? You know what that is? Ungodly and wicked. 
It is demonic. It is not of God. It has nothing to do with godliness, holiness, and righteousness. It is completely anti-Christ. You hear that? Why would I be able to say and use such a harsh set of words for an action like that? Because it's anti-Christ. What is Christ's picture of? Is the picture of restoration. Look at Peter. Look at Peter literally denying him three times at the hour Jesus needed to, to, to have fellowship and have support like none other. You've got Peter out there, no, I don't know who you're talking about, calling curses down. Look what Jesus does in the restoration of him. Do you agapao me? Oh, I fillet, oh Lord, he's not going to get in the arrogance that he had once before. Remember when Peter had said, I'll go with you to death. And in that, that really beautiful discourse, when Jesus restores him, he asks him three times, do you agapao me? Which means, do you love me to the depth that you said earlier that you were willing to die with me? Are you going to get arrogant like that again, Peter? No, I phileo, meaning I can love you to the ability that I have and, and my finite ability to love you. And I, I, I'm not going to say what I said before. Do you agapao me? Jesus says again, no, Lord, I phileo. I, I, I can love you to the ability that I have, but I am flawed is what he's saying in that. And then the third time, you agapao me, he said, then feed my sheep. What he was saying is get out of this pride that led you to where you were at the last time, believing that you could drink the cup that I drank when you were unable to do it. Get out of this pride and this arrogance and this thing that will hinder your ability to be used of me. Beautiful picture of that. But this restoration, you see that. Of all the people that really you'd think did not deserve that, it would have been Peter. Having done what he did, abandoning Jesus, but yet at the same time, what do we know scripturally? It had to happen, amen? Jesus had to die alone. And not only that, God the Father had to turn his face away. Profound picture of that. But see, there's joy in number one tonight for those who confess sin and receive forgiveness. There's that refreshment. Such a beautiful picture of that. And then verses three and four. When I kept silent, this is when we go to this separate part of it. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle and from my groaning all day long. For day after day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Some versions say, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Sin will physically affect you, church. I want you to understand that. Unrepentant sin will make you sick. You know, when you look at that, the thing I read with the Lord's Prayer, people often just associate that with the Lord's Supper, the, the, when we partake in the Lord's Supper. Don't be deceived. That is an admonition to all of us at all times as we, a vital part of the body of Christ. Think about it. As the body of Christ, we are taking part in the assembly, the body of Christ 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Brother Jonathan, what's that mean then? To take part in an unworthy manner. Flippant. Taking part in the body. I'm here for me. I'm here to get, I'm here to get my needs fulfilled. Are you crazy? We're here to serve and be a part of the kingdom work. We're here to say, what, God, what can I do for you? What can I do to be a part of your kingdom, your kingdom work? 
It's not about me coming and finding out what I or you can come. What can we get? I'm ready for everybody to just pour into me. There's times when we need that. But I hope the majority of your time, God, how can I encourage someone today? How can I challenge someone? How can I share a prayer request or a praise? In glory to your name, Lord, how can I be a vital part of the body of Christ? I think, therefore, we have so many people who have not understood what it means to the reverence with which being a part of the body of Christ should be taken that many of you are weak, sick, and a number of you sleep. Important. How much sickness in church bodies all over the globe are spiritual. When sin is hidden, our bodies will waste away. Second thing I want to share with you tonight That verse 3 and 4, it's the picture of it. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. They became brittle from groaning all day night. Day and night, your hand, ready? Your hand was heavy on me. What hand? The hand of the Lord. Listen, I want to tell you something. My my dad doesn't have the strength anymore. My mother, my mother was a, a belt smith. Now what a belt smith is, is someone who is schooled in the art of swinging a belt. She was a beltsmith, like a swordsmith is uh, schooled in the art of a sword. I'd rather my mother whip me all day long, and I'm telling you, I disdained being whipped by my mother because she was a beltsmith. I would let her whip me all day long in her prime before I want the hand of God against me because you have never felt an overwhelming level of misery than when the hand of God is not for you, but against you. There is no place to hide. Mom goes to sleep, God doesn't. You see? When sin is hidden, our bodies will waste away. Don't let the enemy convince you that that area of bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment has a home with which it can take root because it will consume you. It is not if, it is when. And it is might, no, it will. They're absolutes. They're not variables. They are absolutes. It has to because as Scripture says, God cannot be mocked. It's absolutes. Doesn't say may not, might not. He says it, he cannot be mocked. Those that sow the flesh reap destruction. Those that sow to the spirit reap life everlasting. So therefore, we recognize with these absolutes, the same beauty is found in the absolutes of forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, if, qualifier. Interesting, right? If, if you confess your sin. He is, absolute, faithful and just to, doesn't say to possibly, it says to forgive and to cleanse from what? Some? No, all. All is all-encompassing, all unrighteousness. So it's the part in the beginning of that that's so interesting. There's two little letters, if. If, ask the question, what are you going to do with it? 
Yes, that leaves it up to you. It throws the ball as the old proverbial ball in your court. What are you going to do with this gift that is guaranteed that we have? We have been extended this gift. What are we going to do with it? The same picture of salvation. Same picture. It's, I know it's very hard for people to objectively think about people in your family or friends that you've loved a lot in your lifetime. When you are honest with yourself, and as a matter of fact, I think people can't even be honest with their wives and husbands about this because it's so difficult to think about. That son, that daughter, that mother, that father, that, that grandmother, that grandfather, and we go through the whole litany of relationship structures in life and step back and one by one begin to think, you know, as I grow in Christ, I recognize the call of a disciple and I recognize what it means to be a disciple. And then as you start to think about the relationship structures in life that you've had, there's those difficult thoughts that come into your mind. I don't call them invasive thoughts either. I call them deep theological questions that we have to, to deal with in ourselves. When we think about that person in our life who never wanted anything to do with the Lord, but yet grandmother, grandfather, mother, father said how much of a... You know, they, they prayed one time when they were a child, though they lived like the devil the entire rest of their life. Remember, God is the righteous judge. We are not a judge, but I'm just posing a statement to you to think about. But being honest with yourself in these things that are struggles with us as we think, I can't even fathom, as I can, but most people can't, fathom the thought that somebody you loved could be in a place one day in outer darkness, having died lost and without hope. Now, again, God's the righteous judge. God is the one that is all the final differentiating call, but Scripture calls us in the picture of Matthew chapter 7, by their fruit you will know them. There's many other places in Scripture. People say, oh, you can't judge me. No, you can't go. You're going to hell. You can't do that. That's judgment. Only a judge can do that. Amen? We are fruit inspectors. Fruit inspectors. If there's fruit... By their fruit, you recognize them. So this is when I ask you this question. When you think about at times when you're thinking about and pondering back on life circumstances and friendships and relationships, and you begin to think about a person that maybe you had a great relationship with, but then you begin to think about as you grow spiritually about the interactions you had and you just love them so much, and then you start to think, I never heard that from them. I never heard about love for Jesus. I heard Grandma talk about when they got baptized one time, but I never heard them ever say anything spiritual or anything about the Lord or anything about following Christ. And in your heart of heart, you have to sit there and you go, Lord, I pray that they knew you as Lord and Savior. But that's a difficult thought to process, isn't it? It's a difficult process because each person has to come to the place where they recognize they're a sinner in need of a Savior and no amount of us wanting it can compel someone to do what only they can do. If you believe that, then maybe you need to go to the Catholic Church because then on death they believe you can pray each other, you know, pay each other out of purgatory and all these different things. But brothers and sisters, we know that salvation is a work of God compelled by the Holy Spirit, convicting a person, helping them understand their need for Jesus. And that person, in and of themselves, not compelled by someone else praying for them, it must be done by the individual. As much as we want to do that for a little son or daughter, or mother, or father, or grandmother, or grandfather, as much as I want to do that for someone that I know, many people that I've known that are 
completely anti-everything, it can't be done that way. It has to be done by them. But you know what's interesting? Even us as believers that theologically understand it, I've met believers that it's almost impossible for them to fathom someone having the ability to reject Christ. And literally it's almost a protective mechanism in their mind that wills them to believe that there's no way possible that person could reject the Lord. But church, you realize that's their own choice. People have the ability to reject the Lord as much as we don't want them to have that. God cannot defy their conscience. God gives mankind free will. God gives mankind free will. As tough as that is, isn't it? It's tough. That's why I believe one day in eternity, God's going to wipe away every memory of those people that aren't there. I know that because of the fact that Scripture says He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And that's an awesome, isn't it? That great blessing to know that God's going to wipe the tears from our eyes. Because if we knew that someone that we loved was not there, it would bring us to great sorrow and sadness. And therefore, we have another conundrum them spiritually if we are in glory weeping for someone who we wish was there but wasn't. But tonight, the beauty of this is there is joy in being forgiven. There's also the ability we have to continually cry out on behalf. And why? I even shared with someone this morning uh, that they were talking about some lost loved ones and people who are caught in religion but don't know relationship with Christ. And I told them to write them down and begin to pray over those names that God would bring them to the understanding and give them wisdom of their need for salvation, true relational salvation. Relational salvation, not religion. I hope, church, if anything else, Longview Baptist Church has a clearer understanding of religion versus a relationship with Jesus Christ than I hope any church within a thousand miles of here. And if not, I have failed you. I want this church to recognize the danger of religion, the danger of not knowing a working, living relationship with Jesus Christ. Someone I talked to um, today also, uh, they were talking about, they used to listen to a lot of book on tapes and they have a lot of time during the day to listen to audio. And they were sitting there and they said, you know, if I can listen to that, I can listen to God's word. So recently they shut all that down and they started listening to the Bible and that's all they listened to. And what's interesting is I'd just spoken with their spouse this week and said, I am so excited. I have seen your spouse grow spiritually and it's just, I want you to know I am so encouraged by that. By the way, I didn't know anything about the Bible thing. So I encouraged the spouse today by saying, I've really seen God really grow. You have really grown spiritually. And then they shared that story. Isn't it ironic? Delight yourself in the Lord. And what? He gives you the desire of your heart. So this person has given up something that was giving them zero return and has now invested themselves in God's word. What does scripture say? Faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of God. So now this person is reaping a whirlwind of blessing as a result. And listen, they're even starting share how prayers are being answered. It's encouraging, isn't it? That's what I'm talking about when I start to, to share with you that you have to see the pearl of great price. It just seems like an obscure parable, doesn't it, on the surface? 
When you see the pearl at great price, what's a person going to do when they recognize the value of it? They'll sell everything to buy the land that this treasure is on, wouldn't they? But you have to recognize it for the treasure it is. You can't underestimate the power of the gospel, the power of Scripture, the power of God's desire tonight to pour immense levels of wisdom into you so that we do not become worldly wise in what we see Romans chapter 1. Though they claim to be wise, they became fools. Their foolish hearts were darkened. You know how many wise? I've known very wise people, actually highly intelligent people. I've met very few of them that are followers of Christ. You know that wisdom, and even in my own brain, because I love theology, it's da- there's a danger point. As a matter of fact, what does Ecclesiastes say in Proverbs? Don't be overwise. Isn't that interesting? Don't be overwise. Wonder why. There's a danger in it. Because you know what happens? You begin going down roads and analyzing everything. And there's this aspect that I actually, I love. It's this childlike faith. Sometimes I look out on the outset and I I, I literally laugh at times going, this just really must look completely insane to the lost world. Honestly. If I did not experience and have not so often in my life and continual manifestation of God's power and presence in his supernatural provision, literally on almost a daily basis, I'd almost battle that thought myself in in, in reality. Because faith is the essence of what? Being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. If God's word didn't have power, I couldn't do this, church. There's no way. I couldn't. I'm sorry, I couldn't. I cannot sit there and look at something and one of the religions that says, you know, this guy found these magical glasses and read this, right? I'm not going to talk about which one it is. It doesn't matter. I'm not here to do a kill job. These special specs with which he reads this new revelation I'm so thankful for the power of God tonight. You know why? Because the Word of God has power. And that's what I'm thankful for tonight, because if I read God's Word, and God wasn't a God of power that reveals Himself to people who seek Him with all their hearts, I wouldn't be here. Because I'm, I might look dumb, but I'm not half as dumb as I look. That's what's so profound about the power of God tonight. And what's so awesome is when you truly rest in the power of God, in the work of God, in the word of God, God pours out his heart, his thoughts. He literally pours himself out in ways you cannot begin to understand. That's what's so powerful even about the picture of this. When you've experienced this, you recognize the judgment of God. Because 
when sin's hidden, our bodies physically suffer from it. And we recognize the contrast of those times when it was hidden and we tried to harbor it. But then in confession and redemption and restoration, this weight that feels like a ton of pressures lifted off of us, this contrasts that we see in harboring sin, but then also in confession and forgiveness, restoration. And then, then I acknowledged my sin to you, did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Third and final thing I want to share with you tonight is this. Once sin is acknowledged, brought out, and confessed, there's restoration. Big thing, you got to acknowledge it first. Sometimes that's the hardest part. Amen? Well, it just been a justification phase, right? Well, if only they hadn't, if only they didn't, if only she didn't, if only he didn't. Yeah, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. But if they, <laughs> anybody know? Y'all don't do that, do you? Right, I've only battled that before. Right. So you want to justify. Or we'll say, you know, I'm so, so sorry, but if, if you're truly repentant, you won't make that next statement. You'll repent and you'll leave the qualifier that you're using to, on the back end, justify the initial act. Leave it alone. Just ask for forgiveness and be genuine and humble in that repentance because once it's truly acknowledged and we see, remember, when you violate uh, someone else, when you have been unkind, when you have been mean, uh, selfish, you realize when you do that, this is the thing you've got to recognize first. You cannot even go to them first and then repent. You know that? You know that you have to go to God first because you know why what you did against them was wrong? It's because it stemmed from them being God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus to do good work. So you violated him first. You can't go to them first. If you do, you skew the whole entire time-space continuum thing, right? You have to go to God first. God, I have hurt one of your creatures. It is wrong. You created them. I have violated my friendship, the relationship. I mistreated them. And God, I need forgiveness. Then you can go to them after. There's a structure with which forgiveness must happen because there's nothing that God has created that's not his. So therefore, the proper structure, when you go and forgive a person, you still have brokenness with the one whose law, with the moral law, the moral law we're still under, by the way, don't murder, don't steal, right? We're still under that. People say, well, wait a minute, the ceremonial law is what the new covenant abolished. We still must repent of sin when we sin. When we violate, that's why the moral law, oh, we're free from the moral law. Great, I can steal, I can kill, I can covet, right? No, we can't do that. We're still under the moral law. See? We are still supposed to do that. I don't know how in the world I've heard people say, no, God obliterated all of it. Well, wait a second. First one that says you're not supposed to go out and covet, commit adultery, 
right? All, <laughs> you got to realize that's where I sin. We talked about this morning. Proper theological understanding of Scripture is in order. That, again, the violation of God himself, God's creation, each person is his handiwork. And therefore, when we sin against them, we have sinned against God. Now you might go, oh good, well I'll ask God for forgiveness and I don't have to ask them for forgiveness. No, I'm sorry, wrong again. You must ask the one who created them forgiveness first because you have violated their creation and then you ask him for forgiveness. But once we recognize that, we acknowledge it, we bring it out, we confess it, there's forgiveness, there's restoration. Now, what happens if someone, you've acknowledged it before God, you've confessed it, you went to them and that person says, I'm not gonna forgive you, that's okay. Because you've done your part. Then, it's their problem. You have washed your hands clean of your obligation if you genuinely did that. You know what the great thing is? You have been restored to the Father. You have no wall of separation between you and God with unrepented sin. Now, it's theirs. They have now brought themselves enmity in direct conflict with God due to now them taking what was not their sin, they have taken and now made their sin. Then they're the one that has to once now find that they must acknowledge this sin that they have taken on through their unforgiveness, recognizing even the parable of the unmerciful servants, very big picture of that scripturally. I wish we had more time. Unmerciful servant, remember, forgiven a lifetime of debt. The man is, the king's getting ready to sell this man for, for his debt. Goes to the king, begs, says, please forgive me. I will give you, I'll pay everything back. Just give me time. The king forgives him, wipes the debt clean. Lifetime, remember, a lifetime. The man's forgiven, walks out. He's on his way home from having been forgiven a lifetime of debt. He sees someone who owes him what? One day's wage. He chokes him. Give me what you owe me. You know who hears about it, right? The king. He's taken right to the king's presence and say, did I not forgive you a lifetime of debt? And you choke, turns him over to the tormentors till every cent is paid. By the way, that's not someone who goes to hell. Remember King Saul, tormenting spirit? We can go into a whole nother picture on that. That gets you a start of it. Don't play around with unforgiveness. We have a savior who's paid a debt we could never pay. God forbid that we harbor a day's wage after being forgiven a lifetime of debt. Live in the joy tonight of being forgiven and the joy of extending forgiveness Because what did I say earlier, that verse? The one who's been forgiven little loves little, and the one that's not the verse, but I love to say, but the one who's been forgiven much loves much. Brothers and sisters, I know tonight I've been forgiven much, and I'm thankful for it, and I pray that you are. And I pray you're living in the glory of God's grace, his mercy. 
I pray that you're confessing your sin and recognizing he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and the joy of being forgiven is the joy of your heart. You're waking up in the morning rejoicing in the God of your salvation, realizing that his grace has been extended through Jesus of salvation. You're also recognizing that his mercies are new every morning. As scripture says, great is his faithfulness. He is ever faithful. He is ever just. He's ever holy. And therefore, the holiness of God has to be that thing that, that, that keeps us recognizing that since God is holy, he is just. Therefore, unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment has no place in the life of a believer. Let's pray. Father, thank Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart, and today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life, first, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay for your sin. Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, and you wanna live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.